Welcome to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast with Sakar Kali. During this program, you will hear guest experts sharing their experiences, best practices, and market insights. We discuss investing in multifamily apartment complexes and how a busy professional can passively invest hassle-free in various opportunities. Your host, Sakar Kali, owns millions of dollars of assets and has done thousands of value-add projects over 20 years now. So listen in for insights. Here's your host, Sakar Kali. Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Ben Suttles with Disrupt Equity. Uh, welcome to the show, Ben. I appreciate you taking time today. Yeah, thank you, sir. I appreciate it being on. Awesome. So Ben uh, is a veteran, uh, you know, investor and entrepreneur. He's been, uh, you know, doing the businesses for like almost uh, 15 to 20 years now. Uh, he came from a IT sales and business development background into an IT firm and doing a lot of sales for them. Uh, and, you know, he grew their company from, uh, I think, the sales from uh, 1.5 to almost $3 million in a three-year period. His background in management and sales kind of propelled him into a commercial real estate career uh, starting way back in 2000. 13. So over the last seven years uh, with his company, Disrupt Equity, he and his partner, Ferris Mosa, have uh, incredibly grown the portfolio to uh, 1,800 units, uh, sold um, a whole bunch of them, and now they are big into Texas and uh, Georgia, specifically Atlanta markets as well. Uh, so they currently own well over 1,600 units uh, split across various companies, and you know we are here to kind of learn about his story. So um, in your words, Ben, uh, give us some background uh, and we can get into the details uh, on the show. Yeah. So uh, once again, I appreciate you having me on. Hopefully I can add some value to your listeners here. But, uh, you know, you you did a great job doing the intro. But, you know, just to kind of give some people some perspective, I I did come from a, a sales and business development background in IT. Now, a lot of people came from IT, but they're more on the I always kind of say I was the guy that was in the boardroom telling people how much stuff costs. You know, the other guys that were in the boardroom with me were usually the smart ones. So, you know, I got a lot of, you know, networking, uh, you know, experience, a lot of, you know, uh, doing presentation experience, doing this type of stuff uh, experience. And, you know, so that that's really done very well for me in commercial real estate and syndication, which I'll, I'll get to here in a minute. Sure. But, I, you know, I did that for about 15 years, you know, then, uh, you know, I read a book. As you know, some people might know, it's called Rich Dad Poor Dad. Sure. Mm-hmm. And this must have been about ten years ago, mm-hmm. and you know, it was one of those things. That it was a light bulb moment, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, Robert does. Robert Kiyosaki does. He doesn't do it. Doesn't do a great job doing a deep dive as to you know how you know real estate you know works, but it's it's a lot about a mindset, right? And kind of putting you in the right mindset to go out and actually do real estate, right? And sure. how real mm-hmm. estate how powerful real estate is. Mm -hmm. And it really was one of those light bulb moments for me. And so I started kind of exploring how could I get into real estate, right? And the time, you know, you're still got the full-time job, you know, there's a lot of things happening, you got kids, all this stuff, right? So, you know, as a lot of people do, right, I started off in single family. So, you know, I did that, I had some rentals, we did some flips, I did some wholesaling. And, you know, for me, it just, it was hard for me to justify taking time away from my 
day job mm -hmm. to, you know, go clear across town for, I, for people that don't know, I live in Houston. Houston is one of the most spread out cities in the whole entire country. Sure. And so, you know, when you're kind of looking for deals, right, you're, you know, you're going all, all across the city. Right. Sure. Mm -hmm. And so for me to go from the North side, which is the part of Houston that I was at at the time to the South side, sometimes that's going to take an hour, hour and a half each way. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm taking that time off of my day job, which I'm making good income on to go all the way down to look at a house. Right. Sure. <laughs> so you start kind of running the numbers. And, and, and so after about 18 months, you know, I kind of started dwindling that down and looking for other things that, that for me were a little bit more scalable and a little bit more conducive of allowing me to still do my day job, but also maybe still continue to go down this path of real estate. Sure. Sure. And so, you know, being that I'm here in Texas, this seems to be kind of the epicenter of a lot of these kind of uh, guru type groups, you know, especially for multifamily investing. And sure. I was driving down the road and uh, I heard, um, you know, a gentleman named Del Wamsley on mm -hmm. the uh, on the radio. Uh, and he's uh, he owns a company called Lifestyles Unlimited. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I was so taken aback about apartment investing. You always think that that's like some hedge fund or some rich Wall Street guy owns that stuff. Right. And so you know, I was like, oh, really, you know, mom and pop and, you know, retail type guys like me can get into that. You know, I'm interested. So I went mm -hmm. and did this two day, you know, um, but by that point, I was kind of burned out on the whole kind of guru group. I'd done some stuff for single family as well and spent a, a fortune on training. Mm -hmm. And so I took a step back. I said, OK, I'm not going to go down that path again. I'm not going to go to the back of the room and whip out my credit card again. So but I knew at that point after that two day boot camp that multifamily was the way that I wanted to go. Right. Mm -hmm. He really, he does a great job of really kind of, you know, selling the benefits of multifamily over single family. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, ultimately I knew that I, there were some things that I needed to kind of get in line mm -hmm. um, and put together to kind of take it to the next level. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I went out and I really just, I started networking like crazy. Sure. You know, and as, as people remember from my intro, right, you know, that's, that's, I did a lot of that in my sales job. Mm -hmm. So it was really just secondary, it was second nature to me to go out and just, you know, I'm networking either at an IT, you know, conference or I'm networking at a real estate conference. It really doesn't matter to me, right? I'm passing sure. out business cards, right? Sure. Sure. And so, you know, I started kind of building up a pretty good database of investors, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and then in the meantime, I met a couple guys that were here in Houston that were kind of looking to get into doing the same thing. Sure. And we had some complimentary skill sets and, um, you know, ultimately decided to kind of partner up, you know, and we originally, you know, we started that business. That must've been 2014. Mm -hmm. uh, we started that company. Um, you know, in the meantime, I'm still networking, networking, you know, stumbled a, a, across uh, Brad Sumrock at uh, one of these local RIAs here in Houston. Mm -hmm. And Brad Sumrock, for a lot of people who don't know, was he came out of the Del Wamsley and the Lifestyles Unlimited, sure. you know, mm -hmm. um, ecosystem and just started his own thing. Mm -hmm. um, but at the time, Brad was still pretty small and, and his, the cost of his trading program was significantly cheaper than Lifestyles. Sure. So I ultimately said, okay, hey, I've, I've learned a lot in, on my own mm -hmm. uh, in the multifamily space, but I felt like I still needed to learn a little bit more. Sure. So it kind of felt like I was a little bit stuck. Mm -hmm. So then I pulled the trigger on that and went into that program. Um, you know, learned a little bit. His training's all right, you know, uh, but what Brad does a pretty good job of is he, he has put together a pretty good ecosystem, mm -hmm. you know, of people that, are, that all want to do deals, all want to invest in deals, right? Sure. Everybody that's there is interested in multifamily. Sure. And so the networking was pretty, was, was pretty tremendous. And so once again, I'm building up more and more investors, right? Well, you know, you've got this, you've got this bucket of investors. Now I got to find some deals. So I really started 
focusing on Houston and the surrounding area around mm -hmm. me. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, I went like, okay, I'll, if it's within a two or three hour drive, I'm going to look at it. Right. Sure. Of Houston, mm -hmm. you know, because I always wanted, I, then I'll get to my thesis of wh where, why we invest where we invest. Mm -hmm. But one of them is, is that I want, always want to be able to get there the next day. Right. Sure. I don't mm -hmm. want it to be, I don't want it to be a challenge for me to get to the property if there's an emergency or I need to be on site. Sure. So, um, you know, I found a, a, a smaller town, uh, about 450,000 people called Beaumont. Now, Beaumont is 90 miles east mm -hmm. of Houston and, you know, is mainly petrochemical. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Port of Beaumont is, I think, either the fourth or fifth biggest in the, the country at this point in terms mm -hmm. of the tonnage that goes in and out of there. And so it had some good things going for it. Sure. And at the time, the price points were great, especially in comparison to Houston. Sure. So I really started focusing on that market. Mm -hmm. Well, I stumbled across a deal. Um, it's called Huntington Park. And um, I was able to, we, were, we talked with the broker, um, you know, me and another gentleman that was a part of that group at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a local broker that didn't know how to value these things. It was an ownership group that was, out of Ohio that had owned the property for 20 or 30 years, they were just looking to exit it hmm. and they were willing to, they were willing to sell it at, you know, at that point it was a 10 cap wow. and this mm -hmm. would have been 2015. Nice. And so of course, you know, that's even back then for people that don't know, that was that's still a pretty good deal. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, so we went after that one uh, pretty aggressively got it under contract and, you know, ended up closing on that one. That was our first deal. Uh, how many units and what, what vintage was that? Uh, so that was 92 units. Mm -hmm. You know, the equity raise on that deal was $800,000. Okay. Um, you know, and that deal, it was, it was a home run from the beginning. Sure. Um, sure. You know, we were kind of grinding along, uh, but it was spitting off cash. You know, I think we ended up projecting 17 and a half um, year one in terms of cash on cash returns. Wow. And we ended up, mm -hmm. we that's ended up, very we strong. Ended up, mm -hmm. It's very, very strong for, for a multifamily deal. Sure. And we ended up paying that out. Awesome. So, um, you know, we're kind of humming along and then Harvey hits. Hurricane mm -hmm. Harvey was, a, was pretty devastating to this part of the country mm -hmm. back in 2017. And the property flooded. Oh, boy. So, mm -hmm. of the 92 units, um, I think it was 34 that uh, we had to terminate the leases on the tenants, uh, ask them to leave. We had to take it all the way. We had to remediate it, take it all the way to the studs complete gut job on those 34 units. Wow. Um, mm -hmm. Luckily we had flood insurance on that deal mm -hmm. and we were able to capitalize on that. Mm -hmm. um, from the beginning we had put 500 K in and CapEx. Um, and then we put another $2 million in of flood insurance money. Sure. FEMA. Right. So, mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, all in, I had two and a half million. I ended up only paying $3 million for the deal. Wow. So mm -hmm. I had two, I had two and a half million dollars into the deal on a $3 million deal. So <laughs> normally as, as anybody knows, you're not going to put that much money into a, that small of a property. It just sure. doesn't make any sense. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but ultimately because of what happened, that's the situation that we found ourselves in. Mm -hmm. uh, we were able to, you know, obviously get through the process, leased it back up. We went from 60 to 99 in four months. Oh, nice. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it was, it was a pretty good ride and we ended up exiting that deal um, the following year in 2018. Nice. nice. So, nice. you know, but that was our first, that was my personally, my first deal, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and, you know, circumstances changed along the way and I exited Brett Sumrock's group and, you know, ended up kind of doing my own thing the last few years. And then I, I, I 
I met my current partner, Ferris Musa, from hmm. we created a company called Disrupt Equity. Sure. And hmm. that's the that is the firm that we're out there doing acquisitions and management under. Sure, so, sure. And, and I agree with you, Ben, that I think the first deal, however it comes around, you learn so much that, I mean, you're mm-hmm. learning like a fire hose. It's not just about, uh, I think, just, you know, what the asset is like. It's more about, you know, how you kind of network, what are the different pieces needed? Uh, you know, there's definitely yep. the uh, capital side of the things, but, you know, whether you're looking for a KP or a sponsor, things like that, the debt uh, side of things as well is so important that there's just so many pieces of this thing that you kind of go and, um, you know, it's like you're learning from a fire hose the first time when you see all these things, you know, it's, it's amazing, you know. Uh, so now moving on, Ben, as you kind of uh, progressed into your career, you obviously acquired a lot many, uh, you know, deals uh, after that. Um, what is your genesis now in terms of like, how are you evaluating different sub-markets or perhaps what are you looking for uh, in newer deals uh, perhaps that you're buying now? So, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll get to the cliche stuff, the cliche metrics that everybody talks about, sure. right? But, mm-hmm. you know, going back to my earlier statement, right? Mm-hmm. For me and Ferris, it's very important that we can travel to it easily, sure. right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, within a two or three hour drive, or within a two or three hour flight sure. and a direct and a direct flight. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, back in 2016 or mm-hmm. 17, I started looking outside of Texas. Right. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. because at that point deals were kind of starting to get a little bit pricey already, or at least in my book, they, they've since gone up since, <laughs> since then. But sure. you know, back then you're like, Oh, I'm not going to buy that. Uh, and then you wish you would have, but you know, I started looking I, I we buy on cap rates, you know, on some of these deals. Right. And, you know, um, when it goes from, you know, a seven down to a five in a matter of 12 months, you know, you, you start kind of looking, okay, Hey, that's a little pricey in my book. Sure, sure. So I started looking at markets that were similar to mm-hmm. Texas mm-hmm. that were within that logistical kind of radius. Sure. Mm-hmm. And Atlanta popped up on my radar. Mm-hmm. Atlanta's got a lot of good things going for it. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's pro business. It's, it's, it's pro landlords, tax friendly, you know, it's a logistics hub. I mean, it's pretty much the logistics hub in the Southeast uh, sure. you know, mm-hmm. part of the country. Um, you know, and then there's just a lot of Fortune 500 companies that call it home, right? So there's a lot Absolutely. of jobs, mm-hmm. a lot of ancillary service jobs that feed into that, mm-hmm. right? Sure. You know, so that was uh, another market. And then the other market that we look at that's kind of going the other way in the, towards the West Coast is Phoenix. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. same, same thing, right? You know, same dynamics. It's, yep. it's mm-hmm. same dynamics, right? It's pro-business, pro-landlord, tax-friendly, right? You know, population growth, job growth, right? Sure. All record banner markets for sure. Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, and, you know, luckily being logistically in the center of the country where we were located at, it's just as easy for us to get to the West Coast as it is to get to the East Coast. Sure, sure. But I think we're, 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 we benefit from that too, being where we're at in Houston. So we still, we look in Phoenix, we look in Texas, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't like anything that's too exposed to oil and gas right now. Mm-hmm. And people are going to say, well, what about Houston? Yes, we own deals here too. But what people don't realize is Houston's still the fourth biggest city in the country has a continuing uh, surge of population. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of other things that are happening other than oil and gas in Houston. Right. right, right. So yeah. but when I say that, it's more things like Midland, Odessa, stuff that's like highly concentrated in sure. oil and gas. Right. Right, right. And then, you know, going towards the East coast, like I said, I like Atlanta. We also like Orlando, Orlando, Tampa, and Jacksonville Mm -hmm. for various reasons. But once again, from a state level, 
it's the same thing that I'm looking at. That's why I like Georgia. That's why I like Arizona. That's why I like Texas. Mm-hmm. They're all pro business, you know, landlord friendly, mm-hmm. tax friendly, population growth, right? Sure, and, sure. You know, and everybody, that's kind of what they're looking for. And that's why these, these deals make, uh, that's why a lot of people go after there's a lot of demand for this stuff because sure. everybody's seeing the same metrics that I am too. Right. 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 You right. know? Um, and then from there, when you're, when you, when you've identified your actual kind of city that you want to invest in, or maybe even the state, then you have to start kind of digging in. Okay. Within the say in Atlanta, what part of Atlanta do I want to invest in? And sure. Why? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Because each, each big city is going to have different parts of the city that you don't want to be anywhere close to. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's kind of some of the things, you know, I, I wish I had like some kind of a magical, you know, uh, formula mm-hmm. that I use, but it's, it's, it's mainly driven by those main metrics that everybody kind of sure. looks for, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then also the other things that I like to see too is, you know, is the city, investing alongside you know the the private investors too right are they mm-hmm. putting money into the into these areas mm-hmm. right because there's definitely some areas that are forgotten in a lot of these bigger towns that you just know the city council is never going to put any money in that area right, so right. regardless if i'm buying that on a 10 cap it's always going to be a 10 cap you know whenever i go to sell it because nobody has any desire to make that now We've got opportunity zones, but you know, the benefit of that was more so last year than it is this year. And it's going to continue to dwindle away Sure, sure. Um, hmm. you know, where they were trying to kind of change the dynamic of that, but I don't right. know um, how much that's going to uh, affect change. Right. Right. So, right. And I guess another aspect also is that, uh, you know, opportunity zones given where they are in terms of, you know, like the zip codes and all that, there's a lot of uh, stress already. So you kind of, you know, almost have to, uh, uh, you know, vet these deals by, uh, you know, it's like a double-edged sword for lack of a better word, you know, like a deal could be good, but Hey, the sub market is just not that great. You know, that, that could be another thing. It's it, the, the problem that I have with opportunity zones is that some of this stuff's just not supportable, sure. right? You know, mm-hmm. you, you almost have to buy up the whole neighborhood to, oh, to yeah. really, to really get the change that you need. Sure. I understand mm-hmm. that from a bureaucracy standpoint, somebody that was in Washington thought that that sounded like a good idea on paper. Sure. But in reality, what's tough is that you can't go into a big, you know, uh, sub market that's an opportunity zone, yep, right? Yep, and just yep. pick one or two plots of land and, mm-hmm. oh, let's put a new, you know, even if it's a, even if it's a tax credit deal, right? Let's sure. put a new deal there, right? You know, um, sometimes it just still doesn't, it's not supported by the sub market. I, I absolutely like, I mean, I have a favorite quote that you can change an asset or a, you can change a house, but it is very tough to change the whole neighborhood or perhaps several blocks absolutely. around it. it. It it requires, I mean, it's it's almost like you need an institutional capital at that level that yep. you're buying, you know, several blocks to, you know, make that, uh, you know, like a permanent change uh, mm-hmm. of a demographics, you know, all the different services and things like that. So it's, it's a whole different play and it's a long-term play. It's not something that perhaps you can just do it within five years and things like that. It, it, it probably needs a lot more resources and city corporations and things like that. So it's, it's, it's far oh, beyond than, uh, you know, like a typical individual investor or a partnership group can do on an individual basis sort of things, you know? Yeah. So now, it's, a, it's a redevelopment, right? Sure, you know, absolutely. You know, the, the whole entire landscape and, and that takes deep, deep pockets. And so it goes back to my earlier, like if the city's not behind this, then it's going to be very, very hard for me to do it on a property by property basis. Couldn't, so couldn't I look, agree I more. At that. 
Mm-hmm. No, I, I totally agree with you, Ben. Now, speaking of all this, uh, Ben, like, uh, like, let's say you identified, you know, hey, this state looks great. I like the submarkets and things like that. Now you get the deal, right? L- let's talk about, uh, you know, like underwriting, the value add, what things you look for in the specifically in the asset itself. Could you maybe share some thoughts around that? So, you know, we don't buy deep, deep value add deals. We have mm-hmm. done deals with down units, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're finishing up a project that had 30 down units. Mm-hmm. So we'll do deals like that, mm-hmm. but that's probably about as, as deep of a value add as we'll do. Right. Sure. So I'm usually looking at stuff that's 70, 80% and above occupied. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right. You mm-hmm. know, um, and in that case, if I'm going to do those deals, I really need to make sure that I'm comfortable with the submarket, right? Sure. Because you're putting a ton of money into these. Mm-hmm. And if, the, if there's not enough demand for housing or you're going to have to spend so much money to justify rent in that area, the, the, the rent that you're going to have to charge might not be absorbed by that market either too. So sure. you have to be very, very careful with those types of deals. And I usually right. like to only do those in areas that I feel are already turning mm-hmm. or, or are about to turn into kind of, you know, um, I hate to use this word, but they're, they're being gentrified. Sure. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, you have to, you have to look at that. So mainly what me and Ferris are looking for is deals that are probably 90% and above occupied. Sure. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, but maybe they haven't done all the value add, right. Maybe they've only done the exteriors, but they've left the interiors Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or maybe vice versa. Right. Maybe they've done some of the interiors, but maybe a lot of the exteriors still need to be done. And then there's still some more on the interiors. Mm -hmm, As long as there's meat there that can justify, you know, my business plan, Mm -hmm. that's kind of what I'm looking for. But I also like to, we've done bridge deals and we will continue to do bridge Bridge is a tool, Mm -hmm. but especially right now, uh, you know, we're in the midst of, a pandemic, sure. right? Mm-hmm. A lot of the bridge, a lot of the bridge lenders have pulled back. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and so, you know, who's still left in the market, Fannie and Freddie. Right. So a lot of the deals that we're looking at now are stabilized, right? 90% sure. mm-hmm. above for at least 90 days. And then we're just looking at the aesthetics. Is there, is it tired? Um, is there a room to improve the interiors? Uh, is there a management play there? Right. You mm-hmm. know, and everybody mm-hmm. always says there's a management play, but um, I would say the the quarter of the time that's actually true. Most of the time it's, it's just, Hey, that's just how the properties run. Right. And you're mm-hmm. not going to do any better of a job than the guy that was, or the gal that owned it before you. Sure. So, sure. you know, a lot of that is just marketing. Right. It's like, right. Every, it's like, it's like every real estate broker saying every deal is a value add play when it's absolutely not. Right. 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 You, right. Know, right. Um, you can only value add these deals so many times before it's like, there's no more meat left on that deal. Sure. Sure. Um, sure. You know, so those are kind of some of the deals that we're looking at. We, we, we tend to, you know, focus on, you know, deals that are going to be able to, I, I don't like a short term hold, you mm-hmm. know, um, you know, I know that there's some investors that one or three years they're out, right. right we're looking right. for five to seven year plays, mm-hmm. you know, um, on bigger deals that we can kind of really get a good economies of scale in certain markets. Too. Sure. Sure. So, you know, but, you know, I can go through, you know, some of our underwriting metrics too. It's, it's completely up to you. I, actually, yes, you can. And that's what I was going with is also is that some related questions there, Ben, would be is that when do you think or what are some of the telltale signs you say that, hey, you know what, it's just too, uh, too dated. It's probably not for us and things like that. Or sometimes, you know, as you indicated, right, you can improve the management so much like, you know, third party management is a third party property management at the end of the day, right? You know, 
remotely you can sometimes uh, you know not move the needle as much i mean you're not going to you know dramatically start uh, hiring all kinds of people and all different people and try new things and then come to find out that oh geez that was just a great experience of vanity like doing nothing you know for you know for all that so how, how do you kind of wet through all that noise that okay hey you know, the property management may not be as great as we thought that perhaps let's look into something else or perhaps when you're visiting an asset, uh, you're looking at, uh, you know, the exteriors and things like that. And then you kind of say that, hey, you know what, it's just too much uh, of a project for us. Maybe this is not the right fit. Could you maybe share some thoughts on all of this, uh, Ben? So I'll start with the aesthetics that we kind of, I mean, sure. I think 30, 40 down units is probably about maxing out in, in terms of sure. because what, and so for your listeners, what I mean by down units are these, these units are down. They are not operational. They have not been rent ready or operational for years. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're down to the studs. Sometimes they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they're going to have power. Sometimes they're not. These are going to be the roughest of the rough units, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if something's like a 50% occupied play, I just, I go ahead and immediately, I, I, I go ahead it's and too, too risky. that off. Right. It's too, there's too much going on in the market right now to take on that type of a play. Right. Put in you know, more. Yep. I mean, mm-hmm. And so you have to be very, very careful with that. Mm-hmm. Right. So that'd probably be maxing it out. And once again, I go back to, it has to be in a good market for me to do that. Right. Sure. That's not, that's not the type of play I'm going to do in a secondary or tertiary market. I want that to be in a primary market. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so aesthetically beyond that, you know, if I can work it into my budget, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. I haven't seen anything that as long as the numbers still work, I'm not going to shy away from it. Now people are going to say, well, what about chillers? What about boilers? That type of stuff. Yes. I don't like those types of deals either, but I've also made a fortune on those types of deals. Sure. So Mm -hmm. as long as you can bake it into your budget, Mm -hmm. the maintenance of it, the replacement of it, what have you, the repair of it. Mm -hmm. And then the deal still works. I say, why not? Right. Sure. You know? Sure. Um, so there's not any kind of on an aesthetic or, or the way something looks that's going to scare me away. Right. Um, right. You know, if anything, it's more the sub market that's going to scare me away. Right. Where sure. I look at it and crime stats are through the roof. School districts are in the dump. Mm-hmm. Right. There's, there's no new development happening or redevelopment happening. Right. Those are all telltale signs of just a lost part of the city that, Right. I have no desire as a, as a, a multifamily, you know, one-off property sure, owner, sure, not sure. a whole developer to right. buy a property in those areas. Right. So those are the types of areas, those are the types of things that are going to scare me, mm-hmm. you know, um, but ultimately you could do a real quick, you know, back of the napkin on a lot of this stuff. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, people going back to the single family route, right. You know, and, and people can, they can run their own numbers and they can take me at my face value on this deal or not. Right. But mm-hmm. I'll take, I'll, I'll ask the broker two questions. Mm-hmm. What's the current rent that they're getting mm-hmm. and what's the price per door that they want? Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, and let's, let's use 75,000, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm going to take, you know, 1.25 of the, you know, 75, right. Whatever that comes out to, let's just call it a hundred, hundred grand. Right. Sure. Mm-hmm. If I can't get a thousand dollars per unit for that, I am not going to do it. Right. Because mm-hmm. this is the reason why, Right. Not to confuse anybody, but that is a really quick way to determine if a, if a deal is overpriced or not. Right. Mm-hmm. The same thing happens on the single family side. It's called the 1% rule. Sure. Right. The same thing happens on multifamily, but I'm, I'm giving myself even more buffer by mm-hmm. saying it's not the 1% rule. It's the 1.25% rule. 
<laughs> right? You know, so I'm going even more and you'll see deals where they're selling, they're trading at 90, a hundred thousand a door, but the rents are 750 bucks. Mm -hmm. I don't even need to underwrite the deal. I know mm -hmm. the deal does not work unless mm -hmm. you're, the expenses are zero, right? Which we mm -hmm. know in, in, in all sure. cases, expenses are going up across the board. Right? Sure. Sure. You know, so that's one way that I, I'm, I'm also just writing deals off without even having to kind of get it over to our analyst mm -hmm. and have him do his thing. I'm not even putting that in front of him because I know that it's not going to work. Right. Sure. You know, so that's on the revenue side, you know, expenses too, you know, you have to be very, very careful these days on taxes mm -hmm. and where I'm investing, which is, you know, down in the South, there's, you know, all kinds of stuff happening these days, right? You got sure. hurricanes, you got flooding, you got hailstorms. Mm -hmm. insurance is going up. Mm -hmm. So you got taxes and insurance that are big deal killers these days. And so I'll put that through the ringer really, really quick and say, all right, the broker's pro forma is way, way too aggressive. No way we're going to be able to get taxes or insurance at this level. Right. Um, right. I'm discounting, you know, even deals that might make sense if, if, if they were at that level, mm -hmm. I'm saying just can't make it work. No, I know. And one, one common theme, Ben, I see also is that the vacancy is so much reported lower, you know, like they'll say, mm -hmm. Hey, the bad debt is almost, uh, you know, next to nothing. Um, yeah. You know, I talked about vacancy and things like that as well. Right. I mean, they'll put the pro forma as if like, Hey, the best case scenario is going to happen and you want to, you know, kind of, so how do you kind of like go about that? Are you basically saying that, Hey, I'm going to stick to my uh, sort of underwriting standards, whether it is 10% vacancy, bad debt, maybe perhaps three to 5%, things like that. Uh, how, how do you kind of go about some of those parameters as well? So, I mean, I don't even send the OM over to, you know, our analysts. I, mm -hmm. I'll look at it just to kind of see what they're kind of underwriting, but I never take it and put it into my underwriting, right? Because it's going to skew your numbers and then you're, you're always starting from a flawed spot, Sure. right? Mm -hmm. So you need to really take, okay, what do I know about the submarket? What does my property management company know about the submarket in terms of mm -hmm. vacancy and bad mm -hmm. debt and those types mm -hmm. of things? Right. Because certain parts of the country are going to be better than others. Sure. sure. Right. You know, what can we do in terms of rents? Once mm -hmm. again, you should not be, you know, pulling that number out of the air. You, your property management company should help you define what is actually possible in terms of rents and put those real numbers in. Sure. Don't take what the broker is giving you because I'm going to say nine times out of 10, it's aggressive. Sure. Right. Sure. Absolutely. And, and what they, you know, what, what they've done is they know now that everybody knows that taxes need to be goosed up. Sure. So on the expense side, they're still goosing up taxes, maybe not enough, but they're still doing it. And everything else is aggressive though. Sure. Right. Sure. You know, I mean, from the rents to the vacancy, to the bad debt, to everything in between. Sure. sure. And, you know, so people will take that and they'll put that into their own spreadsheet mm -hmm. as that's the real number. Well, right. Why are they putting that on an OM? They're right. putting that on the OM because they're hoping that somebody's going to think that those are real numbers that are possible. Mm -hmm. And of course those numbers are going to pencil out. They're going to look, they're going to make the deal look great. Sure. Sure. Do you, do you trust uh, T12 as well? That's there, uh, uh, Ben, or is it something you kind of uh, take it with a grain of salt? It, it depends on the seller. Right. And mm -hmm. one of the other questions that we always ask the brokers, you know, what kind of a seller is this, right? Is this somebody that's been in the market for a while? Do they own multiple properties? Mm -hmm. You know, how legit are they? Mm -hmm. Usually the legit firms aren't going to 
they're not going to do anything crazy with their financials, right? It's mm -hmm. just, they're pulling it down from real page or resmen or wherever they pull it from mm -hmm. and they send it along. Right mm -hmm. now, sure. when you get into the kind of some of the smaller properties, sometimes some of the more mom and pop operators, mm -hmm. there's going to be some, you know, probably not above board things that are happening at the financial, sure, sure. you know? And so you have to take that. So you, you have to know the type of seller that you're dealing with. And sure. then from there, you just have to, you know, trust, but verify. Right. You know, right, I mean, right. you know, I look at, you'll, you'll see even within expenses, right. Mm -hmm. You start looking at it and you're like, wow, they didn't have any payroll for that month. Why do they mm. have any payroll for that month? Right? Right, right. But they're just, they're almost hoping that you, you miss these one or two cells here. Sure. Well, those one or two cells might add up to a lot of money and that starts Absolutely. making you look a lot better. Absolutely. So, you know, and that happens a lot, believe me. Right, and right, so right. we have to normalize all of that based on our experience and what, what we're doing with our property management company. Right. Um, and speaking know. of that, Ben, uh, do you place any uh, sort of metrics around, hey, if this is a hundred unit deal, I need, you know, maybe like a one property manager, one assistant property manager, one, ma uh, one maintenance uh, person on site and things like that. Mm -hmm. Would you maybe talk about some of the metrics around payroll and staffing uh, that you look at? So payroll's gone up, um, and, and this is this has kind of been a disparity between appraisers, lenders, and people that are underwriting deals. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody would love to say that payroll is still at a thousand bucks or eleven hundred per unit. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's not, right? You know, it's gone up, right? Between payroll and burden, mm -hmm. right? You know, burden being health insurance and all the other benefits, right? And sure. people need to understand that's that's usually 30 to 35% on top of what somebody's payroll is. Right. Sure. Mm -hmm. So right now, and this is, this is sub markets driven, right? So I just, sure. I don't want anybody to go off and use these numbers. We're underwriting more to the 1400 per mm -hmm. unit, um, mm -hmm. you know, to be more realistic as to where payroll needs to be. Right. Sure. Now we have seen it, you know, where we'll get kind of the employee roster and we'll find out, okay, you've got a 200 unit property. And you've got five maintenance guys. Why do you have five maintenance guys? That's too right? much. And then you start kind of, yeah. So then you maybe as part of your due diligence, maybe, and you might not be able to get this ahead of time, but certainly during your due diligence period, you should ask for the work orders, mm -hmm. right? Maybe you find out that, you know, three of the guys are dedicated just to doing plumbing issues because this property has a ton of plumbing problems, <laughs> right? Well, okay. That's interesting, right? Now we yeah. know that we might not be able to get rid of those other three guys. And guess what? We've got plumbing problems all the time. Right. You know, so right. that's why my plumbing expense is up higher. So, you know, you have to find out the backstory as to why staffing is what it is. Right. Because a right. lot of people will be like, oh, they're just heavy. I'm just going to go ahead and cut out that extra maintenance guy or two. They're usually there for a reason. Sure, right? sure. You know, and another I thing, mean, Ben, to add, I have found also is that sometimes, you know, multiple, like sellers would have multiple properties and their staff would be divvied up. Sometimes, you know, you have three or four assets in the same neighborhood and your payroll is kind of, you know, allocated for lack of a better word that you'll have five guys and you'll see the, them on the roster, but they're uh, like the numbers would be divided. Like some are allocated here, 30% there, 40% here, that kind of thing. Would you yep. agree to that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like, that's the flip side of it, right? Where, right. you know, maybe it's, it's not, that's not how you would run the property, right? right. Because that, right. maybe that third party does have those sister assets that they can share resources around. Sure. But guess what? Maybe you, if you have your in-house management like we do, or maybe your, your other third party doesn't have that, 
that right. luxury, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. now you have to have a dedicated person there. That's going to beef up your payroll, right. you know, versus sharing that expense, right? You right. know, but yeah, no, payroll is is definitely another thing. I'm glad you brought it up because you know, taxes, insurance, and payroll, all three of those have been going up. Sure, you sure. Know? I mean. <laughs> Now, speaking of property management, Ben, uh, do you manage these in-house or is it like a third-party management? How, how is that? We do. We do. We, we, got a, we got a company called Disrupt Management. So I got tired of firing the, the third-party property management companies. <laughs> um, you know, it's one of those things you do it five times. You're like, all right, I'm done. I'm not firing anymore. I'm just going to, we're just going to start our own. So, right. So uh, describe us the story, Ben. Walk us through. Like, I, I understand the genesis and perhaps I can relate because I'm a property manager myself and, you know, done maintaining the portfolio myself. But, uh, you know, managing your properties where you are in town is one thing and then perhaps setting up that operation on the ground uh, and you know you are in Houston your some of your assets are obviously in Atlanta as you described right walk us through how, what it takes I mean yeah and you know how you're kind of interviewing setting up systems and things like that yeah I mean all of our stuff we've, we've got one we've got one property in Houston, one of Beaumont. So I'd say that those are all kind of Houston deals, but everything sure. else is outside of here, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have our main hub in Houston, right? Luckily, even during COVID, right, there's still plenty of flights from Houston to Atlanta. So getting out there logistically is easy. And it's mm-hmm. actually pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty cheap, sure. even, even right now mm-hmm. to get out there. Um, you know, you want usually, this is how we've done it, right? So everybody can kind of do it their own way, right? You have you know, maybe um, a de facto supervisor mm-hmm. of the other, you know, properties, but maybe that person is also a manager of a deal too, right? Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. put them on, you know, maybe one of the cleaner deals, mm-hmm. one of the easier manage manageable deals, sure. and then they help manage and uh, the other onsite managers, right? Mm-hmm. So they're your mm-hmm. kind of de facto regional manager out there, sure. but they're, they're kind of dual role. Sure. And then, you know, we also have, you know, VPs and supervisors that go out there and mentor and help and train and onboard and do all that good stuff. Sure. You know, luckily both me and Ferris come from an IT background. So a lot of our stuff has been driven by technology. We were a remote company before all the lockdowns happened. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, so a lot of our training, all of that was already buttoned up and online. Mm-hmm. So it really wasn't a, a big stretch for us to even manage even during this time, sure, um, sure. you know, but uh, that's usually the best way to do it, but it's tough. I think, you know, you have to have enough scale to mm-hmm. justify the cost of doing that. Right. Right, and, right. Right. You know, and so people need to understand it's not like, okay, I bought one multifamily deal. I'm going to go ahead and start my property management company. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you're going to have to finance up front if you don't have enough mass sure. to, to pay the bills on it. Right. And then at what point you decided, uh, Ben, that, uh, okay, I'm at X number of units and I'm tired of, uh, you know, firing the other property managers. What what was your sort of unit count when you took in the management in-house? And we, we asked this question too, before we even, before we went down this route, you get a lot of different answers. I've heard a thousand, I've heard 1500, I've heard 2000. Mm-hmm. is usually, you know, the, the sweet spot. I think it also depends on the type of revenue, sure. right? Because if you've got 2000 class A deals, that's right? different. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Yeah. You're going to, and that's going to be different than 2000 class C deals, sure. right? Because the revenue that it, these are going to be spinning off is going to be different. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's going to justify what you can do. Right. So you got to take that into consideration, right? And you got to realize that probably for the first, first six to 12 months, it's going to be pretty lean. 
Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, because you're just trying to ramp it up, um, you know, and in, in, in terms of acquisitions and, you know, everything that kind of goes along with that. Um, right. You know, we've since turned it also into a, a third party company too. Sure. So for mm-hmm. kind of our friends in the business and our colleagues that we like, know, and trust, we also manage their deals too. Sure. You sure. know, where, where we already have presence, we're just kind of augmenting that with other deals. Uh, right, right. It, it helps the bottom line for sure. So yeah. was it more like around what a thousand uh, units when you started to seriously look into? Uh, in, no, it was, in, it was 1500. It was yeah. 15. Got it. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. Uh, awesome. And, and how has been the experience been like, is it easy enough to find the staff? Like let's say the technicians, the supervisors, or perhaps even the leasing agents and things like that. Or do you have to kind of do a lot of trial and error before you we, start? Long? We were lucky enough to recruit a gal that had already built a property management company five, 10 years ago, up to 10,000 units had sold it, was doing some consulting. We had developed a friendship with her a while back. And she was looking to kind of, hey, I want to do it again, right? But I want to mm-hmm. partner with the right people. And we're like, sure. well, hey, we want to start one. And we don't want to do all the work. Oh, you nice. Know, <laughs> how, about, how about we partner up? You know, we'll bring you the deal flow and, you know, you know, kind of finance the thing. And, and you are kind of the president of the company. And we're just mm-hmm. kind of sitting on the board. Mm-hmm. And uh, she agreed to that. And, um, you know, ultimately she was the one. We've learned so much about property management that we, we would have stumbled right out the gate because mm-hmm. we just didn't know what we didn't know. Sure. So sure. she was able to help set up the systems and the processes and the hiring. And she had a deep bench of regionals and other people that, that, you know, she could go and talk to. Mm-hmm. So it made our process significantly easier. Mm-hmm. If me and Ferris just had to go out and do it on our own, we probably would have failed. Right. Um, right, right. You know, it takes a lot of, I think, local knowledge and relationships, tough. right? It's very, very tough. And, and, and it's a lot of work. I don't want anybody to think that that was easy. In fact, if sure. I had to do it over again, I'd probably question the decision, Right. you right. know, just from the amount of effort that it's taken. Mm-hmm. But now what I love about it though, is that there's transparency, the communication is there. And ultimately when I need something done, it gets done. Sure. Right? Whereas mm-hmm. when you're, when you're talking about a third party property management company, they don't, they don't jump when you tell them to jump. Mm-hmm. They don't mm-hmm. do things a certain way just because you've asked them to do it. Right. right you know, right. they've got a box and if you fit in this box, then you're all right. Sure. If you're outside of this box, they, they're not going to mess with you. They're not going to move quickly. And you know, uh, sometimes worse than that. Sure. And, now, but Ben, do you find um, that uh, financially you, you have a lot more edge uh, when you're looking at deals because your operation, uh, you know, the management operation is in-house. Do, do you see that as an advantage? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, now I can just walk down the hall and say, Hey, Jackie, you know, what do you think about that deal? Right. Or what do you think about the submarket or what kind of rents do you think? Right. Like, so mm-hmm. from an underwriting perspective, absolutely. We can move very, very quickly. Right. Whereas, mm-hmm. Other people have to go and type up an email and hope that somebody gets them a budget or any of that other stuff. That's all buttoned up, mm-hmm. you know, and also, you know, I mean, it makes it easy to, to ultimately, if we're already in a market mm-hmm. or already managing in a market, right. Just to go ahead and add that one to the fold, right. We've sure. already established all those vendor relationships. Mm-hmm. We've already got staff in place, right. Because people got to realize that you've got the onsite manager, you've got regionals, you've got supervisors, you've got VPs. So, a regional can usually handle, you know, sometimes six, eight, maybe even 10 properties. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, say I'm in Atlanta, right. Mm-hmm. You know, regional is already managing four deals. If I buy a fifth, I don't have to go hire on another regional. Sure. That's just another deal that he, him or her is going to be managing. Right. 
right? Right, right. Absolutely. So you're not even having to incur any additional costs, right? Totally agree. Uh, totally agree. So, I mean, it's, you can move more quickly. Um, you can, you know, underwrite more quickly. And ultimately, I think you also start getting economies of scale in these different markets because sure. you're building up enough mass where you have purchasing power now. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. No. So. That, thank you, Ben. It's been it's been great yeah. having you. Uh, I, I feel that there's a, so much that we left, uh, you know, sort of undone and not haven't talked. So I, I appreciate if you could uh, make some time on your calendar Absolutely. and we can, uh, you know, probably uh, cover some more topics on a future episode. I greatly appreciate that. No, no, I appreciate Sakar. I really do. Hopefully your, your listeners got some value out of what absolutely, I'm saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, kindly share with the listeners how they can find you and learn more about you. Yeah. So Ben Suttles and uh, we're at Disrupt Equity. So www.disruptequity.com. And you can email me at Ben, B-E-N at disruptequity.com. Uh, as people can probably tell, I like to talk shop. So uh, if anybody has any questions, feel free to reach out. Absolutely. We at premiumcashflow.com as well. Love to have guests like Ben. We have, you know, news articles and stats and all kinds of things on our website as well. Regularly, we have, uh, you know, investment opportunities uh, with experts like Ben and many others. Uh, so if you're interested in passive investments, uh, kindly reach out to us. We have a website. We can get on a short phone call and perhaps discuss what your goals are uh, and perhaps, uh, you know, answer any questions you may have. So thank you, Ben, for coming on. And uh, I hope to do another future edition with you soon. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates, research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest.